Come, let us adore him. Week two, horizontal worship. Horizontal worship. And uh, would you stand with me as we go to Matthew chapter 2 today? Matthew chapter 2. Here's what it says. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, and those are the wise men, and we'll talk about them next week. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Verse 19. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. We pray your kingdom come. We pray your will be done. We pray that our ears will hear and our hearts will receive all that you want for every person in this room and watching on video to receive. We pray that we will see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. Uh, we are excited to tell you, too, that in January, we're starting a fourth service, a fourth weekend service. I should have said this before we read to the scriptures, but fourth weekend service, we're going to start an 8 a.m. Sunday morning service. Yeah. Now, uh, that service will not have the um, loud music, and it will not have the crazy lights, and it will not have the booming bass. So if you like softer, gentler worship, that service is for you. Uh, we used to do this a long time ago. Now it's coming back. And uh, also it should be a shorter service because we're not going to change the times of the 9.30 and 11.30. So that's our plan. Well, we might, might change 9.30. But we want to get you in and have a nice, quiet service for all the boring people. Amen. Because <laughs> God loves you too, believe it or not. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this message. Come, let us adore him. I'm talking about horizontal worship today. Horizontal worship. And again, your notes there on the top, it says that. Somebody say horizontal worship. What, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that there's two kinds of worship. And last week we talked about vertical worship. Vertical worship is worship that goes up. Worship that praises Jesus for who he is, what he's done, and exalts the name of Jesus. Why do we exalt the name of Jesus? Because Jesus is Lord. He is God. He is our Savior. He is our soon-coming King. He is our Redeemer. Amen. When we go into the house of God like this, when we gather, now the building is not the house of God. We are the house of God. But when we gather as the house of God, our worship should go upwards to him. And here's why. Because he came down to us. See, this is the scripture's teaching about the gospel. The gospel is not what we do to get to God. 
The gospel is what God has done to get to us. And so here's a passage that kind of summarizes it. It's actually in Philippians chapter 2. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this, that we should have this mind in us, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Here's what Paul's saying there. Jesus was God before he was a baby. Every false cult and false version of Christianity is founded on the idea that Jesus became God, that he was created or he started at some point. And that is false. That has been proven false throughout Christian history. And it is fundamentally important that you understand that Jesus Christ the Son of God was eternally God the Son from eternity past and will be God the Son into eternity present. He was never created. He never started. He always was. Through him all things have been made, and without him was not anything made that has been made. Amen. He is eternally God. And so what happens in the incarnation, what happens at that manger 2,000 years ago is God comes down. God descends. God enters into our world. He sets aside his priorities, uh, not his priorities, but his prerogatives, the rights that he had as God. He sets that aside, and he comes, and he empties himself. Going on in the passage, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a what? A God came down, and God served being born in the likeness of men, Paul says, and being found in human form, he, what's the next two words? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. See, the gospel is vertical. And so our praise is vertical. We talked about this last week. We talked about making a joyful noise to the Lord. Somebody say, make, make, somebody make a joyful noise. Oh, you are alive today. At least 15 people right here in the front row. <laughs> Vertical praise. Because God came down, our praise goes up. But there's something called horizontal praise. See, here's the difference between the two. Vertical praise is us telling God that we know how good he is. Okay? Horizontal praise is us telling others that we know how good God is. Amen. See, the cross is vertical and horizontal. Two reasons why. It symbolizes our faith. It symbolizes that God came down and one day we will all go up. Okay, We will rise again from the dead. We will be in heaven with the Lord. But then it's also horizontal. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, he told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. In other words, stretch out to the east and to the west and around the world and share this message. And here we are today, in the month of December in 2019, worshiping a Jewish carpenter who was born on the other side of the world in a little nation about the size of New Jersey 2,000 years ago. In other words, the gospel has not just come down, it has also gone out and has reached all the way around to you and to me. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? And so we are part of horizontal worship. 
when we tell people how good Jesus is. In other words, don't let your worship just be about you worshiping God to Him. He already knows. He already knows how good He is. It's also got to be a part of how we tell other people how good He is. And spread the fame and the glory of the name of Jesus around the world. Can I get a good amen? amen? So here's what I want you to write down first in your notes. Worship is more than what goes up. It is also what goes out. It has to go out. We can't, now, last week, maybe uh, last week it was a little bit too much for you. <laughs> I tend to get excited about worship. I love to preach about worship. And, you know, I challenged you. Let's show up early. Let's, let's get into our seats and be anxious to sing to the Lord together. And some of you did that today, and it was wonderful. And actually, I, I do want to say, I heard much louder singing from the crowd today. So good for you. Didn't it feel good to sing? Yeah, it feels good to sing. We're supposed to do it, okay? And so anyway, maybe, though, you're still not there yet. You think, man, I want to, but I'm shy. Or I'm new to this. So he's all, all new to me, step by step. And we want to be the church where you can take baby steps in your walk with Jesus. We don't want you to be like me tomorrow. Actually, we never want you to be like me. <laughs> we want you to be a better you, okay? But this is uh, what we do, and we gather and we worship, and maybe you're not there yet, and that's okay. And so here's the thing. This week is for you, because when it comes to vertical worship, there's a lot of singing involved, but when it comes to horizontal worship, no singing allowed. Because when you want to tell your friends about Waters Church and tell them to come next weekend to our Christmas services, we implore you, don't sing. <laughs> don't be like, would you come to church with me? <laughs> that will make sure they never come to church. So here's the week of worship, the week about worship for the people who are faint of heart when it comes to singing. How about just saying what's going on in your life with Jesus? And we've got cards in the lobby for you to take on the way out. Please pack your pocketbooks and pockets with them. And make sure you're giving them to neighbors and friends. And tell somebody to come with you next week because you never know what's going to happen in someone's life when we tell them about Jesus. I have been hearing stories of how much life change has been happening here. Stories of people who were headed one way and God has invaded their life and brought them and turned them around and made them a whole new person. Life change is what happens here when we tell people about Jesus. This is why you want to be engaged with me in horizontal worship. And this is something that we all do. We all can do this. We all can spread the news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so I have been hearing story after story. And I actually got a text this week from somebody in this church. And this is what they were basically saying in the text. They were saying, I'm so glad that I can confidently bring someone who doesn't go to church into Waters Church. And I love that. I love that. And uh, we do everything that we can to make sure that this place is comfortable for people who are not used to going to church. Because we want to get them to hear Jesus, hear about Jesus, Okay. So here's the text, and I'm going to change the names to protect the innocent. 
I don't want to embarrass them. They come, okay? But here, here's what it says. I just want to say thank you. I'm so proud to be part of this church where I can comfortably bring my friends. My husband and I have had the opportunity to bring 15 people over the last six months. And these people are from the Coast Guard. And they get off the boat, and they are far from their family and friends, and they just are desperate for community. Every single one of them has come to our church with us, and they absolutely love it. They love the message. They love the music. And they all come back at least a couple of times. We brought, and she mentions this one man, and he calls himself a Christian now. And he tells people all the time that God doesn't hate him for his sins. He said he loves knowing that God doesn't expect him to be perfect and loves him as he is. And he says, Christ, Christ is now changing his life because of that love. How many love it that we don't have to change people, but Jesus changes them? This is why we horizontally worship. She goes on, she says, we brought another guy, and he grew up Jewish, and he said he learned more about the truth of the Bible in one week at Waters than he did his whole upbringing. He has been relocated several times, and he is determined to find a church like Waters wherever he ends up. Just want to share that. Thank you for working so hard every day, creating a welcoming and loving environment for all types of people. This is why I love my church. Thank you for everything you do. It's totally worth it. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. I don't know what kind of church you think should be. I don't know what kind of church you like. But I want to be a kind of church that unchurched people love to attend. I want to be the kind of church where people who are broken and sinful and, and evil and not what we think of when we think of church people and people that have just blown it big time, can come and hear about the marvelous grace of God that always goes further than our sins could ever take us. I want to be a church for the prodigal sons. I want to be a church for the five-time divorcee Samaritan woman. I want to be a church for the person just caught in the act of adultery because that's who my Savior came from, came for, and if he came for them, we got to go for them. It's all about bringing people to Jesus. So this is a golden opportunity weekend. This week is a golden opportunity for you to help us engage in horizontal worship. Now, you might not think about this, but you do this already. We are always horizontally worshiping. It's just not always Jesus. And, and I get that. It's okay. Because we get excited about things. This is in our nature. It's actually pre-programmed into our DNA. Uh, you go to a restaurant with someone that you love, right? And you order. And then the meal comes. And if it's really good, if your meal is really good, what happens? You take a bite. Whoa. This is good. This is good. This is good. You, what do we say next? You, what? Need to try this. Guess what we just did right there? Horizontally worship. We worship the food. But we just horizontally spread the word. We went and told it on the mountain that the noodles Alfredo is born. Amen. Okay? So, so we do this all the time. You go to a movie and you tell your friends, you got to go see that movie. Horizontal worship. You, you, you watch a Netflix show. Somebody just did this recently. You got to watch this show. It's the best show I've ever seen. Okay, let me watch it. And I'm watching the show that they told me because of the way that they horizontally worship the show. 
We do this pre-programmed. C.S. Lewis talked about how this is programmed into our makeup. It's part of our DNA. It's a, it's a, it's a book called uh, Reflections of the Psalms, and he, and he says, I think we delight to praise because we enjoy not just praising something. No, the praise we express completes the enjoyment of what we enjoy. And you think about it. We can't stop ourselves from doing it. We really enjoy something, and we want to share it. We want to tell someone. And so he says this. Let me put it up on the screen. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley or unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in a ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. To experience how cool Waters Church is and not have anyone to tell about it. I didn't know C.S. Lewis was a fan. He's been dead 40 years. <laughs> All right. Some of that was added. But nonetheless... There is something inside of us that when we meet something or experience something or have something that excites us, we've got to share it. My, my, ad, my admonition to you, Water Church, is do that this week. Now, if there's one thing that we get wrong, it is uh, often, it is how to share our faith. We call it witnessing. I don't even like the term witnessing. Uh, because witnesses is something that, you know, that's something that's seen a horrible crime. Right? We bring the witnesses up to to tell the judge, oh yeah, he did it, right? Um, I, I, I don't like that term. I know we get it from the Bible. It's from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but we have done a horrible job trying to instruct the church how to witness. And sometimes our witnessing, we think, is, oh, that's when you argue with non-believers about the existence of God. No. <laughs> Arguments don't do anything. For instance, you all know this because you just had Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago, Yes. Did anyone at the table change their political affiliation after your argument? No. Okay? Doesn't do anything. Some people think that witnessing is trying to make non-Christians act like Christians. That's not witnessing. We're not in the business of behavioral modification. We're not. I don't care what people act like, and I'm not really interested in trying to make them act differently. For heaven's sakes, I've got three children. I struggle hard enough with those three people. On, on changing their behavior. I don't want to do that for anybody else, and that's never been the cause of the church. And so some people think that witnessing is arguing. Some people think that witnessing is coercing. And then some people think that witnessing is accusing. Like witnessing is not telling people how awful something is. Witnessing is not demeaning a person or their way of life. That's not witnessing. Witnessing is simply sharing what Jesus Christ has done in your life. That's all that we're called to do. You say, well, I've done that. I don't want to hear it. Then move on. Then tell someone else. Don't get tunnel vision on one person that you're never going to move on until you got that one person saved. Just keep telling as many people as you can what Jesus Christ has done for you. And I'll tell you that. When you just tell people how good God has been to you, that is the most natural and best kind of witnessing and horizontal worship that you can engage in. Here's how David put it in Psalm 38, 34, verse 8. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. I just want to tell you how good God has been to me. That's all I'm here to do. And you say, well, I know. And then when they say that, they say, well, that's good for you. I'm glad that works for you. And they don't want anything to do with it. That's fine. At least you have shared it. You move on and you tell someone else. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. Like never before in this country, 
people are hurting. They're lonelier than ever before in this country. They need hope. They need a place where they can find rest for their souls. And here's what I know, a lot like, like, like those Coast Guard guys that are coming to our church now. There's a lot of people out there, and they are fully convinced that God is just mad at them for all the wrong things that they've done. And they don't need an accuser, and they don't need a behavior modifier, and they don't need an argument. They need to see someone who's excited about the fact that Jesus has changed their lives. And that's it. Like, that's what we're doing. But we're going to do this together. We want to be a church for people far from God. And horizontal worship takes work. Somebody say work. It takes partnership. It takes, it takes work together in the gospel. Today we're going to look at Joseph. He was a horizontal worshiper. Now Joseph was asked by God to do some crazy things. He was asked to marry a woman who was already pregnant. In the first century, that was a big no-no. He was asked to move his entire young family across the world, 600 miles away to Egypt. And then, a little later, he was asked to move them all the way back, 600 miles back to Israel. And then he had to dodge the king. I don't know if you heard me say it there, Archelaus, Herod's son, evil, dictatorial, totalitarian king. He had to avoid that because he could have gotten killed. And this guy is the guy that, that God the Father says, I want you to be my adoptive father of my son. And Joseph does all this. And here's the best part. And he never says a word. You know that we never hear one word from Joseph's mouth in the entire Bible. That's pretty cool. So that's why I say horizontal worship, you don't even have to say anything sometimes. You just have to do something. And it makes Jesus known. So number one in your notes, horizontal worship happens when we are willing to relate to outsiders. When we are willing to relate to outsiders. This is the first thing that Joseph has to do in his mission to bring Jesus into the world. Verse 18 of Matthew, chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came, to, before they came together, underline, underline, before they came together, because that's important, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, to understand this passage, we have to understand first century marriage uh, routines. In our country, here's how it goes. You date, you, you move in together, you have a child, then you get engaged. <laughs> All the boomers are laughing right now. All the boomers, right? Because you know, this is so ridiculous. Okay, yes. And then you get married, small ceremony because you're broke, and then you plan a honeymoon three years from now that you'll never take because now you have a kid and you're broke, right? That's how it goes now. Okay, that is so far removed from first century Judaism. First century Judaism, marriage happened in three parts. First, betrothal. That's where the young man and the father of the bride sat down and negotiated the terms of this deal. And the father said, here's what I need from you. By the way, I think we should get this, this little action back into our culture. I'm the father of an 18-year-old. Can we get a law on the books about this? Make America great again. This should happen right here. 
I want payment. I want to see something come my way. In the first century, it was goats. It was sheep. I don't need goats. I don't need sheep. I just need you to have a job. All right. Let me get back to the message. Had a moment there. So he would negotiate. Here's what I think I want to give for your, your daughter's hand in marriage. And there would be agreement. That's betrothal. Somebody say betrothal. Betrothal happened. That was basically marriage. After that moment, they were officially married. But they didn't hop into the sack and they didn't go on a honeymoon. One whole year went by. The man left and went to go build his own house. He grew his crops or he grew his flocks and he sold and he made money and he established a home to say, I love this woman so much, I'm going to make sure that there's never a worry in her life about her next meal. I think we should bring this law back into America, right? Okay, so one year they didn't see each other. One year they didn't touch each other. And so that was called preparation. Somebody say preparation. So betrothal, preparation, and then finally, at the end of the year, the friends of the bridegroom would go to the father's house and would take the woman out of her house with this big celebration with dancing and celebration and clapping, and they would escort her with singing and celebration into the home of her new husband, and they would have a ceremony, and then they would have them go into the tent and consummate the marriage. Somebody say consummation. So betrothal, preparation, consummation. But understand that the marriage was enacted at betrothal. To break off betrothal was to divorce, even though they hadn't even slept together yet. The scripture says, before they came together, Mary was found to be with child. This was scandalous. Now, I know we know because we've read the Christmas story and we've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special <laughs> that the angel came and the Holy Spirit conceived. But listen, in the original context, at which time this all happened, no one heard that. No one was aware of what was going on. Everybody assumed that Mary had been unfaithful during that preparation. Here's Joseph working his fingers to the bone, and she's out there messing around. And this was a scandal. She's pregnant. And, and so this, this is an important thing that we have to understand about Joseph's experience of this whole event because we see it from 2020 hindsight vision, but he had to live it. And by the way, we know it was scandalous because they never forgot it. They never forgot it in the first century. Do you know that Jesus is a grown man? And in John chapter 8, he's having an argument. He's a grown man. This is 30 years later. And in John chapter 8, he's having an argument with the religious leaders. And in verse 41, here's their accusation to the hymn. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Implication being, but we know you were. They never forgot that his mother had him out of wedlock. Scandalous. And so you can understand why Joseph, the scripture says in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, I'm going to take the high road. I'm not going to call. And, she, and according to law, he could have called for public stoning. He doesn't do that. 
There was two options in the law, public stoning or silently just write a certificate of divorce and Mary can go her own way. And so he's sitting there about to put pen to paper to write her a certificate of divorce. And here's what it says in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. What's the next three words? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Why does the angel say don't fear? Because it would have been very scary for Joseph to take her into his home knowing the conditions under which she was pregnant. It was scary for him. Let me tell you something about church people. It's very scary to relate to non-churched people. Very scary for a church to have a heart for people far from God. Let me tell you why, as a pastor, I've been doing this 20 years, I know. Because it comes to a point where a church gets to a certain situation where they're just comfortable with church for them. Church the way we want it. Church with the kind of people we like. Church where everybody votes the same way. Everybody looks the same way. Everybody acts the same way. Church for people who like church. But the moment you start to do things, the moment you start to try to make a way for people far from God who don't look like church people, don't vote like church people, don't act like church people, to come into the church, church people tend to get a little bit ruffled about that. And the problem is, here's why it's scary, because the church people are usually the people who actually give money to the church. And so when a church decides, let's go out to lost people, lost people, they don't even know what tithing is. They don't even know how to give. They think, oh, service was pretty good. Here's a dollar. And so it's very scary. And, but, and they don't know the scriptures, and they don't know how to do church stuff. And so it's very scary. It's very nerve-wracking to, to say, let's bring people who are far from God into our church. This is what Joseph had to experience for his marriage. I want you to be willing to associate with someone who looks like a sinner who looks immoral, who the world wants to cast out. I want you, Joseph, to love people no one else is going to love. Do you know why? Because that is what our Father in heaven has done for us. So if we're going to be horizontal, we've got to be willing to associate with outsiders. Some of you want to invite people to church, and i got to tell you something. Some of you are only thinking about inviting clean-cut church people. Please don't. If they already have a church, don't invite them. Tell them to stay at their church. That's where they belong. That's good. If their church isn't preaching the gospel, then you can invite them. But listen, you find that person at work nobody talks to. You find that person in your family that everybody has cast off. You find that drug addict. You find that divorcee. You, do, you find that adulterer. You, define, you, you go and find that pot smoker. Go and bring them. Go and tell them. And when they give you that excuse, I can't come to church. The moment that I come to church, the roof is going to cave in. You tell them, good news, our church just purchased a brand new roof. It's in wonderful condition. And so this is what I'm trying to tell you. If we're going to be a church that horizontally worships, we can't just look for the good people. we got to go after the bad people, the people that are outsiders, the people that don't belong, because those are the people that God has a heart for. Amen. Number two, horizontal worship happens when we sacrifice our comfort for the sake of outsiders. When we sacrifice our comfort for the sake of outsiders. This is exactly what Joseph had to do, didn't, isn't it? He, he had to be uncomfortable. He didn't ask for this. 
Joseph just wanted to do what men want to do. Have a family. Provide. Do your work quietly. Joseph wasn't looking for the spotlight. He's a good Jewish boy. And God interrupts. And God says, I got a job for you. Verse 13, we read it. When the wise men had departed, an angel of the Lord said, rise, go to Egypt. 600 miles away. Just go. And I, I, I just, I, I hate, I love it, but I hate those next few words. Rise and take the mother, rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there. I hate those next four words. Oh, gosh, I hate that. Could you, you know, we know it was only a couple of years. Joseph didn't know. God's just like, I want you to relocate to the other part of the world until I tell you. Like, God, can't you just give me, like, a date? Can't you give me some time frame, a rough estimate? He had to move. Now, I've been outside of this country. Have you been outside of this country? I love leaving this country. I like, sorry. I like leaving this country. I love coming home. I mean, the first thing that I do when I get back into this country is I kiss the ground, and then I get a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. (laughs) So two things. That's it. I'm proud to be an American. (laughs) All right. (laughs) It's hard to move from state to state. I want you to think about moving from country to country. He had to be a refugee. He had to be an immigrant for God. This is a big ask. This is a big ask. And he does it. And then he has to move back. Verse 14, he rose and took the child by night. And, 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 then, and, and later, when Herod is dead, he goes, he goes back to Israel. And it's all to fulfill the scriptures. But here's what it's really there for, to make sure that Jesus Christ is known. He came down, Jesus came down and humbled himself and became dependent on Joseph's willingness. Listen to this, just, just listen to this. He became dependent upon Joseph's willingness to do what God asked him to do. You ever think about that? You know how the movement of Jesus continues across the earth? You know how? Because someone says okay to God's big ask. Waters Church is starting a church in Guatemala. We've got three people right now in our community that are selling their stuff. I kid you not selling their stuff, packing their things, getting their green cars, all that stuff that they need, whatever the visas and all that stuff, getting all that organized to relocate their entire life, to say goodbye to this ground and Dunkin' Donuts coffees (laughs) until God tells them otherwise. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because we need to make Jesus Christ known. Amen. We got people that are right now getting ready to leave the comfort of this established facility, this established church, and go to Fall River and start our Fall River campus. 
We've had four meetings. They're praying over that city. You should hear their prayers. They're weeping over that city. They're asking God to invade that city. Fall River needs Jesus, but he's not showing up there through some angelic vision. He's going to show up there when the church of Jesus Christ goes out into the highways and the byways and tells people far from God that there's a God who's not angry with their sins anymore, but loves them with an everlasting love. We got people getting ready to go to Florida. And they're not sacrificing a thing. Amen. Okay? <laughs> not even going to go there. Not even going to go there. But by God's grace, we'll get there. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do this? We're just following Joseph's lead to do whatever it takes to make Jesus known. All right, and, I, and, you know, we're not asking you to relocate. We're not asking you to move. We're asking you to just to hand somebody a card and smile. And say, come to church with me. Because who knows what will change in their lives. Number three, adopt, I'm sorry, horizontal worship happens when we adopt a lifestyle of serving to bring the gospel to the outsider. A lifestyle. Not, not just, you know, a one and done. If you've been on the, on, the, on the fence about serving at Waters Church, and by serving I mean actually getting involved and not just coming. I'm, I'm trying to push you off the fence into the action. I, I love that you can come and you can relax and you can receive, and I hope you do receive, and I, I think there's a season for that, for every Christian, to just come and let God speak into their lives. So, some of you have you've come from another church because there was a lot of hurt, you, and I've talked to you, and, and you need healing get the healing. You need to just kind of sit in the background and do nothing and say nothing and, say, and speak nothing and, 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 and volunteer for nothing because there's wounds. Okay, fine. Let the healing work of the Holy Spirit do his work. Amen. But at some point, at some point, you got to say, God healed me so that I can be part of the healing in others. God called me so that I can call out to someone else. And I think about our church, and I love you. I really do. Cheryl and I, we thank God. There are people sitting right here every week. They get up earlier than me on Sunday. They dress warm for snow and rain and ice, and they get out there, and they help you park your cars. They're like the Christian post office. <laughs> come sleet, come snow, come rain, come sunshine, whatever it is. They're out there, and they're smiling at you. There are people that set up the cafe in Woonsocket. There are people that set up the entire church and then tear it all down after it's all done every single week. Why? Because we have got to do whatever it takes to take what God has done in us and share it with someone else on the horizontal level. See, the cross cannot just be a vertical you and God experience where it's just about what God is doing in your life. No, it's got to go horizontally and say, here's what God is doing in other people's lives through me. Amen. It's got to get there. And it's about a lifestyle. Here's, here's what you need to see in the scriptures. Verse 19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord again appeared and said, take the child, go back to the land of Israel. Verse 21, he did. He took her and the child and went to live in Israel. Verse 23, he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that was what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he might be called a Nazarene. And I just never, I never put this together in my head. I never did. I never did. But I did this week. Joseph doesn't do this for one holiday season. 
he has a child. And every parent in this house knows nothing changes your life like having a kid. This was a moment. This was not, I'm sorry, this was not a moment for Joseph. This was not just move, move, move. Okay, you're done. I'll take it from here. No, raise him. Now you teach him how to walk. Now you teach him how to do a job. Now you teach him how to speak. Now you teach him how to clean up after himself. This is a lifestyle, Joseph. I'm, I'm not asking you to do this. In other words, God's not saying, God, Joseph, I want you to serve at the soup kitchen because it's December and you feel the need to give back. This is not Joseph, you know, the church is doing this big campaign, so just get involved, and when it's done, it's all over. No. Joseph, I want your life to be about serving the purposes of the gospel. Because that's what I do. That's what God has been doing since Jesus Christ came. He's been sharing this message, and he's been sharing it through other people. And someone shared it with you. Don't let it stop with you. Let it pass through you to other people beyond you. You're chosen for this. So back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she's been found to be with a child. Um, you know why that, that little detail matters? That we know that it was after the betrothal, during the preparation, that the Holy Spirit comes and gives Mary the child. Do you know why that matters? Because God in heaven waited until Joseph got betrothed to Mary to send Jesus into her womb. In other words, God said, I'm choosing you, Joseph, specifically for this. This is your calling. This is not something you choose. This is something I have chosen for you. And I want you to look at your life that way. I want you to look at your, hope, your home that way. God has called you to this. The scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you, and if you're in Christ, this applies to you, you are a, what's the next word? Chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now look at that next phrase. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know what I find is a lot of people, a lot of Christians, they like to be chosen, but they don't know what they're chosen for. They like to think about the fact that God has saved them and is promising heaven before them. But unfortunately, they're just satisfied with just waiting until that happens. I don't want to be like that. And I don't think any of you want us to be a church like that. I want to be a, I want to be a church that's partnering with Jesus to make him known to this nation. America doesn't need more politics. America doesn't need more legislation. America doesn't need more education. America needs Jesus. Our country needs Jesus. People need Jesus. And it is our job to horizontally worship in such a way that makes it possible for anybody and anybody, everybody to come and hear the good news that God loves them and wants them to come home. Sermon in a Sentence is simply this. Horizontal worship happens when we do whatever it takes to help others experience Jesus. That's it. That's it. So some of you, the best thing you could do today, the best thing you could do today is head out 
of our sanctuary and go to the Next Steps kiosks and talk to somebody about serving. And not just for Christmas. Oh, make it your New Year's resolution. I'm going to serve the purposes of God at my church. I'm going to get involved at Waters Kids where we teach your children about the love of Jesus. Because you train up a child in the way that she go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And what we do over there in our Waters Kids makes an eternal and lifelong investment in those children. I'm going to help somebody park their car because somebody parked my car. I'm going, to, I'm going to get on the team to host a small group, or I'm going to start one, or I'm going to be a part of leading. I'm going to help out in the cafe because, you know what, there's nothing better than letting somebody know they can come and get some warm coffee in the morning on Sunday so that their minds are alert and they can hear the message of Jesus. I, I don't know what it is you can do, but you can do something. And, and, and beyond anything else, you can just simply say to someone this week, hey, come to church with me, and it might change the life.